Hi, we're Phil and Jen. Welcome. This is season three, We Can Make Change. And this is episode four with Sonia Pemberton. And Sonia is this amazing woman that we met at a small rooftop gathering in New York City. And we just loved her and the work that she's doing and wanted to share it with you. Sonia is on a mission to ignite a global movement committed to dispelling the myth of the other. And really, it's about taking a different approach to inclusion and belonging and societal transformation. And for more than 25 years, Sonia has led virtual and live workshops. She's led online courses and retreats. She's done keynote speaking and has mentored and coached across multiple industries and generations. She's worked with startup companies uh, to Fortune 100 companies, providing a wealth of knowledge and experience. Her ability to create safe containers for participants to experience transformative mindsets and shifts has really been the cornerstone of her success. And she uses neuroscience as she brings her clients along basically an introspective journey to investigate and uncover the origins of their beliefs and behaviors as she talks about this idea of dispelling the myth of othering. To learn more about Sonia and her work, you can go to her website, soniapemberton.com and you can find out more about what she's up to there and we will have that in the that link in the notes as well as her forthcoming masterclass when that's available we'll add that to the notes as well so we're really excited about this one love sonia and what she had to say yeah we had such a fun time just meeting her hearing from her getting to know her a little bit in new york and so we're pumped to uh bring that here and then also um before we jump into that we are excited because, I mean, if you saw our social media post, that's why Jen's laughing because we got, I kept saying, you're not pumped. I'm so pumped. And she kept laughing at me. So um, here it is still happening. I am excited. I live an excited life. But uh, we have a, a a new thing up on the site that we just wanted to share with you guys. Um, it's a self-guided like download experience of our how to reimagine your life experience that we did. And so we did this how to reimagine your life experience in three different cities um, with three different groups of people. And it was so fun. Um, we took everything that we learned in those workshops and we created this like self-guided downloadable experience um, for others to be able to like take with them and do on their own. So it's, a, it's like a two hour audio that's broken up into spots where you can pause it and then it comes with this 23-page PDF workbook um, that you could really like break it down. And the idea is um, we're at a really unique time. And the world has been massively disrupted. And it's actually like an incredible opportunity for reset and a chance to evaluate our lives in all different sort of ways. And a lot of us are looking at our priorities and our relationships and um, the way that we're living and the work that we're doing, how we're engaging it and what our lives look like and what perhaps we hope that they could look like or be, I mean, even some of the big conversations that we're having with Sonia in this conversation that we have with her today is all about how do you open up your interior life and unpack a lot of the stuff that you're carrying there so that you can repack it the way that you actually want it to be, which is what this experience that we've created is about as well. And so whether you're just looking for like a perspective shift or if you're looking to make major changes in your life, this is the kind of experience that will provide you intentional space to like pause, examine your life, discern what you want and what's next for you, and then help you to take some very intentional steps towards that. Yeah. And what we love about this kind of iteration of it is that you can 
take as long with it as you want yep. or as little time. So it's an audio and then there's a workbook that goes with it. Yeah, so if you like Jen, you'll put it on 1.5 speed and, <laughs> and fly through it while you're uh, vacuuming around the house. <laughs> hey, but or you know what? Sometimes like a, like a people day. are busy moms who have things to do. So you can do it however you want. Or take a whole day or even a whole weekend <laughs> yeah. or a week to just like a little bit of time. But our, our hope is that you could enter into this experience wherever you're at and find really f- like fresh vision and encouragement for your next season ahead, um, whatever that next season is. And so uh, that's up on our site um, under the How to Reimagine Your Life um, section there. So we just encourage you to go check it out. Also, we're doing sessions. And so um, love, love, love doing sessions and walking alongside people, um, whether it's for marriage coaching or um, even just for like walking alongside people in um, their spiritual journey and in their spiritual lives and um, just being a place of like direction and and coaching in that as well. So you can hit us up through the site or email us. But now we have Sonia with us and she's amazing. I can't wait for you to hear it. Hello, Sonia. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be with you and also with your guest. Thanks. Um, it's really fun to meet you in New York and to hear you speak on um, your passion. And uh, we're just really excited about you and what you're doing. And we're really pumped that you're with us. Yeah, we loved, we loved hearing what you had to say there. And this season that we're in right now, it's called We Can Make Change. And that's exactly what you're committed to in your work. And so we're really excited to talk to you about that. Um, Your website has this quote on it, which I just loved. It says that you're on a mission to ignite a global movement committed to dispelling the myth of the other and taking a different approach to inclusion and belonging and societal transformation. I mean, come on, it's so great. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing? Yeah, so it's really, it's like a love, okay? Hmm. It's a love for me to give back to the world, actually. And when I first thought about this, you know, the saying, oh, you want to do societal transformation, that's so big. And, you know, I just don't believe in too big. Hmm. I believe that spirit, God, universe, whatever one wants to, that feels feels most comfortable using, meets us at a moment where we are, and also meets us at that moment when we are supposed to do the work that we're here to do. So in my life, it's been a part of who I am as a person, Um, and you've heard my story. And so I've lived in this place of the other for all of my life. And I realized this when I was eight years old. Throughout my life, throughout my career, I've always been very attuned to what is happening and the energy between people, what is happening uh, in organizations that I've worked in or consulted with as far as the leadership and how employees were treated. Um, in, the, in my social life, my social group has always been very diverse from the time I was a child until this day. And I've always been the observer of the interactions. And I noticed through community, through organizations, through friendship groups and social groups, specifically when I um, enter a new group, of how the interaction goes. So for me, 
Um, over the last 18 months, I don't know, I've lost track, whatever COVID has given us. Yeah. <laughs> um, we all have. Uh, it's come to a place where I've seen, where I have always experienced, but where now other people are more aware of the, the changes that our, our country, our world, it's beyond just the US. Yeah. The world needs to change in a way that we are accepting of one another. And I think for me, the motivation for this work is love one another as you would love yourself. And for me, therein lies the issue. Uh, I believe on some level we come to, we, 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 we've gotten where we are today because there is a level of fear underneath the surface. You've heard me talk about the um, iceberg. Yeah. where the complexities of an org of, a, of an individual really is. Yeah. The me you can't see is underneath that surface. And for all of us, every single human has something that is under there that is what we might call our shadow side. Although we are what we think, mm. right? Yeah. And not necessarily... Um, what we think we are. And I think that's where we come to a place where we really need to, as I call it, unpack our luggage. Because at ba as baby humans, we were born, our parents or whomever our caregivers were, knew that we were going on a journey. They also knew that we were gonna need some things for this journey. And because we couldn't decide what those things were, they packed our luggage for us. They put in their hopes, they put in their fears, they put in the things that they experienced and what they thought we needed to do in order to overcome whatever, I don't know, whatever diversity we might, uh, might face, right? Or any issues that we might face. And so everything that's in that suitcase as we age and have our own experiences, we come to realize we may not need those things, but we never take them out. We don't unpack, they still sit there. So my work is really about on the individual level, I believe this is where this work begins. We need to unpack what no longer serves us. We need to ask ourselves, what does this moment need from me? Is this my truth? What are the origins of these beliefs? And really begin to take that suitcase and literally empty it out so that we can repack it to meet the moment that we're all in right now moving forward. I personally don't believe that we're ever going back to whatever we thought normal was. We yeah. have to find a new way we and a new way forward. Oh man, you are... <laughs> we've been talking so much about all this stuff um, on the podcast and with some of the work that we've been doing and we're so with you on this. And it's, I like what you're saying though, of like, we don't have to, like, we can examine the stuff, you know, and we don't just have to like take it for what it, for what it is and just keep it, keep it in there, keep it in the suitcase. Um, do you want to? Okay. Yeah. So you, yeah. You talk about othering. So like it's 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 the primary like center of, of a lot of things that you're speaking about, which is really interesting, just as a side note, because I feel like 
often when I speak to people that are doing this kind of work, it's usually focused around a particular othering, whether we're talking about Black Lives Matter and racism or immigration or LGBTQ or um, a variety of, of different specific otherings. But you're, it's, it's like you're looking at the thing beneath all those things. Um, how would you define other or othering? Um, basically, it's a conscious or unconscious choice to focus on a broad range of human differences, perpetuating exclusionary, exclusionary practices and behaviors. So for me, othering is not about anything in particular, like a specific piece. It is so many different pieces. It is some people even other themselves, oh, yeah. right? A lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So othering for me is when we literally unpack the suitcase of beliefs and assumptions that we have about anything. So it will include every classification you could possibly think of, um, which means that there really is no other. So my, my keynote, one of my keynote talks is dispelling the myth of the other. And really when we, when we st start to peel all of that back, we realize that we're all the other. Mm -hmm. Because if we classify, let's see, let's start with um, gender. And, and we have intersectionality between a lot of different things yeah. Yeah. also, right? So we're navigating all these different identities. So we're, we have, if we classify people by gender, if we classify people by political affiliation, if we classify people by religious affiliation, by physical ability, by mental ability, whether they're a parent or not, a parenting status, what is their marital status, the divorcees versus the married people. The, I mean, just keep going. Our socioeconomic status, uh, our ethnicity, our weight. I mean, just think about all the different ways that we sit around picking each other apart and yes. putting us into classifications. Yeah. So what I want, which is my ultimate goal, which I will work towards until I take my last breath, is that we see each other as humans. Hmm. Imagine How about that, that concept? Yeah. Yeah. I look at you, Jen, and I see another female mm -hmm. human. I look at Phil and I see a male human. Now, do I notice because I've been programmed to notice that you are a different color than me? Yes, I notice that. But that is not my focus. When I see another human being, I see another human being. Yeah. And meet yeah. them where they are. And if they shun me, I always say a prayer, wish them well, and keep mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. Right? Beautiful. And that's, that's where we have to get to. We have to understand that how we show up in the world and our differences is what makes the world a uni unique and beautiful place to be. Yeah. Period. And not come from this place of they're different from me. I'm drawing a line. I see them as different. I don't want them to have what I have. I, I mean, it just gets to be such a big piece yeah. of focused on, on the differences when if we could just see each other as human. Yeah. It would just be such a beautiful place to be, not just here in the U.S., everywhere, mm. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, that's so beautiful. I love that, that idea of like, and if you're not received, just saying a little prayer, blessing them and moving on, you know, that's so, that's so great. 
what would you say like is the first step for people like who are listening to this and going, yeah, that sounds great. But like, how do we do that? Would you say the first step is almost just acknowledging that we come in with these kind of biases when we, we automatically as humans kind of start to categorize people and put them in boxes, you know, what would, can you give us the first, what do we do? I would say the first step is to understand, I want to normalize it on some level. Yeah. Um, because it's just how we, that's how, how we've been, um, brought up in our society, right? If you have a brain, you have bias. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to acknowledge the fact that you have bias. And some people are so afraid to admit that they have bias. We all have bias. Just figure out what is it that you're biased? Okay. It's one thing if you just don't like seafood, I'm talking about people. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay. I'm talking about your bias affecting the livelihood and the safety of another human being, right? Yeah. I'm talking about when you're in a position to make a decision that is going to affect someone else's life, that's different than, well, I really don't like beef or I'm a vegan. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I I do care about animals. Just let's be clear about that as well. But in this conversation, I'm talking about the human experience. So if we could just acknowledge that we have bias and then we need to uncover, first of all, what, who's included in the bias, who are we biased against? And then figure out what is the origin of that belief? Mm-hmm. Was it put in the suitcase by your caretakers yeah. and it became your comfy, most comfy sweatshirt or t-shirt or your fluffy slippers that are in the suitcase? Maybe it's time to get a new pair. Mm-hmm. Right? So figuring out first, normalizing that if you have a brain, you have bias. What are, what are your biases and how are they showing up? Right? How does your bias impact someone else? What is it that you're doing or not doing that literally has an impact on another person's life? So we can start with that, acknowledging that you have the bias and then figuring out what is the origin of the belief? Was it something you experienced? Was it something somebody told you? Or does your social group believe that? Or does your church group believe that? Or is that the belief of your family in Alabama or California or wherever? And you live in Idaho. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. What has been your experience to, to validate whatever that bias is? And is it really still true? Is it your truth? And do you want to change it? Do you want to be open to seeing a new possibility for yourself and also for the other? I'd start there. Good place to start. What, okay. Mm-hmm. The, I love it. Like the, we're talking about othering, which is interesting because it's the thing beneath all the, all the, the things, but. The division, all but, the divisions. But the thing beneath that is you're just, you're describing having to do real internal mm-hmm. transformational work of, of, 
genuinely addressing your own fears and then where that comes from. Um, that's that's the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to do that work. Uh, I was going to say that it's <laughs> hard. Do, yeah, but um, do you mo- Are you able? Do you feel like you're able? Sorry, I'm taking a question. No, 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 no. It's, no, it's, no, no. it's just not a quick, in, it's I'm just in. not a quick fix. It's a, um, no, it's not a quick fix. And let's not pretend that it is a quick fix, but it is an opportunity to step into your own personal power yeah. because until you're stepping into that, until you can see another human as a human and not 50,000 different classifications of that human, you are living in a place uh, that is being being inspired, mental place that's inspired by on some level, fear, okay? There's something there that is fearful for, for you in order, to, because it, it makes you want to think, you need to think of yourself in some cases as better than or less than or whatever the case may be. Um, a lot of people call this, are using this term now, imposter syndrome. Right. Like, what, what is that exactly besides low self-confidence right. um, and low self-esteem? Because for some reason you think you're not good enough, right? To be in the position you're in and the neighborhood you're in and the company of people you're in, you are good enough just by the nature of who you are and who you were born. The fact that you're here doing whatever it is you're doing means you're good enough. Where did this even come from? So if we start pulling back the layers, we get to this place of I am living my life from a place of fear. So good. Fear I'm not good enough. Fear they're better than me. Fear if they have what I have, there's not enough for me. We live in a vast universe. We live in a place where there is more than enough. If people can build spaceships for millions or billions or whatever to go up into space for three minutes, imagine what you could do with that same money to get people off the street and feed them. Yeah. There is more than enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating how, how much fear and scarcity drive people. Yes. But unknowingly. Well, yeah, yeah. You know. That's the key. Thank you for that, Jen. Let me address that. When we talk about the iceberg and the me you can't see, this might help people. A lot of times, especially if you really feel like I'm a good person, I love everybody. Right. Yeah. It's the unconscious, unconscious awareness. So you, the things that, that are happening outside of your consciousness, there are biases and assumptions that you're not even aware of because they're not at the conscious level, right? And it's an instinctual thing. So if we go back to some of the common things we think about, if you see, if I saw, let's just say, I'm using this as an example, I don't do this, but let's just use it as an example. I see a person walking towards me, cats everywhere, nose rings, 50,000 things on their ears, okay? it's summer. So they have on short sleeves. So I just see all this. They got it on their neck. They got it everywhere. If, if I, if I saw that person coming towards me and I felt fear because I somehow thought that they were a part of some sect or group that would not like me, or, Mm. um, they were dangerous in some way, because that's what I've been told about people who look like that. If I cross the street, 
without even thinking, mm. that's part of my unconscious awareness, right? I don't even know what's happening. I don't know why I'm thinking that. I just, I see them and I immediately start going across the street. If that person happened to be a person of color with dreads or whatever the case may be, and they're walking towards you, if you're grabbing your purse a little tighter or you're walking across the street, that's the first sign. That you may trip before you get there. And this person that you think you're afraid of is the first one to help you up. Mm. But you don't know that because you've been programmed by either something somebody put in your suitcase or something you've watched on the media that, again, uh, not to attack the media, but a lot of the things we get on social media, regular news, has us in this place of fearing each other. Yeah. And I truly believe, yes, are there bad people in the world? Unfortunately, there are. Yeah. But I don't believe that's the majority of us. And I don't like categorizing people unless I met that one person had a interaction with that person. And I knew from that interaction, I should be afraid of that person. Why are we afraid of people we don't even know? We've never even met these people. They're just walking down the street. Think about that for a minute. Is that you? I'm not asking you to, I'm just asking (laughs) the question. It's a good question to ask. Is that you? And it's interesting because how many times have I know in my own life, I have made assumptions about people and then gotten to know them and have been totally surprised and wrong in my assumptions. And it's so humbling in those moments. Like I, wow, I really thought wrong of you. You are not the person that I thought to me. based on my yeah. categorizing yeah. and quick judgments on how you looked or. I have a So our children were growing up together. My children are way grown now, but our children were growing up together, went to school together. And there was this one woman who, for some reason, I just felt like she just had this idea that she was better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that rubs me the wrong way. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had immediately, you know, I was polite. Um, I would speak and keep, keep it moving. But I had this felt feeling that she felt like she was better than me. Now, how did I get inside her head? I don't know. <laughs> but this, so it's not her, it's me. I'm. This is a great story because for almost 30 years, well, no, it's probably more like 25 years. This is my perception of this person. We saw each other at the hair salon. We went to the same salon. Hello, how are you? Great, blah, blah, blah. Still had this feeling. She thinks she's better. Okay. Um, Two years ago, I'm at an event invited by a friend. It's a formal after five deal. We're all dressed to the nines and she's at my table. Mm. She's also friends with other friends who were at this table. And so her husband and my husband are, are, uh, were in the same fraternity. They didn't know each other back then when they were, because they were in separate states, but that's beside the point. So we're sitting at the table and I made something came up and I made this comment about being an introvert. And her husband looks at my husband and says, well, I know your life. She's an introvert. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, maybe she's just shy. Yeah. 
maybe she doesn't think she's better than anybody. The more the conversation went on, we were two peas in a pod. Wow. Uh, great. 25 years mm-hmm. of missed opportunities. Could have been besties. Could have been besties. <laughs> Did you ask her if she thought... Mm. No, I never yeah. thought you were better than anybody else. <laughs> Did you ever tell her? Did, Did you, you tell ever her? tell her? <laughs> yes. She well, we didn't even have to say anything because she thought one thing about me. Because uh-huh. remember, it's not a one-sided thing. Right. Oh, of course, of course. Okay. Yeah. At the end, we're taking pictures, and she just walks up to me and she hugs me and she says, The years we've missed. Whoa. It actually yeah. brings up some emotion there. Yeah. The years we've missed. We didn't have to say anything because she just admitted to me that she thought of me in one way. Yeah. I thought of her in one way. We never had the conversation. Wow. She just came up to me after we we're taking the pictures and she just said, she hugged me and she's in my ear. She said the years we've missed. Wow. Mm. Okay. Question. That was unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Think about that for a minute. 25 years. Yeah. Just from kind of some assumptions. Making assumptions. Okay. Stop that. Stop in New it. York, in New York, you said in the first 10 seconds, we make judgments about people that we meet and create narratives about them in our head. And then we live according to that. And obviously we aren't aware of who these people are, which is what you're describing that played out over 25 years. How how would you encourage people to like somehow like avoid that trap you know what I mean like that first 10 second trap that we did launch you onto a 25 year thing that you just reinforced thing of a friend um it's really difficult for some people and I think the work really the question is to ask yourself what is it about me that needs to judge someone else. If you're judging, if in the first 10 seconds, you look at me and you see, and you think to yourself, African-American woman, well, she must be old, look at all that gray hair. Well, it was that way a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore, because I do a little change. But, um, and you look at me and you start categorizing. Why? Catch yourself in that moment doing it. It's happening instantaneously because we're wired that way. Because our brains, and part of my work is around the neuroscience. So part of our, our brains are constantly trying to keep us safe. For some reason, you have felt that somebody that looks like me or this person or whatever is a threat. And your brains are scanning. I mean, it's happening in nanoseconds. Yeah. Constantly to yeah. keep you safe. Hmm. And so you you're you're looking, looking, look, it's it's happening and you're not even aware. But on some level, when you make judgments about people, those are where your biases are coming in. You may not even be aware of them because they're in your unconscious awareness. Yeah. Underneath the iceberg. Yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff underneath the whole thing down there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I like what you said in the beginning about how we even do it to ourselves. 
Oh my gosh. And I, I have think, a story about that. Yeah. It's, I mean, cause I was thinking about that and if we're doing it to ourselves, if we're constantly judging ourselves, which I know I'm totally guilty of being so hard on myself and judging myself, you know, about things, how then do we not do that to others? If we're, we're constantly, if that's like the voices in our head and, the, and those neural pathways are going down those, making those grooves deeper and deeper. And then, yeah, how do we not do that with others too? It's almost like learning how to do, how to not judge ourselves as well in the process, because I don't know. I think that's part of it. I think, that, I think underneath that's a reason why we're so apt to judge other people because we judge ourselves, yeah. right? So we're, we're naturally, if we're judging ourselves, how easy is it to judge other people? Why? Because we get underneath it all. And for some reason, we either feel threatened by or fearful of that imposter syndrome that people like to talk about, which drives me insane. <laughs> um, somehow we're not good enough. We're not whatever. And that's what makes it easy for us to do to other people. So if we get back to some of the principles specifically the Christ, uh, Christian pr principles around loving your brother as you love yourself. Are we doing that? Mm. How do you, how love do you yourself? love yourself? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you really love yourself? Because if you don't love yourself, if you're not clear on who you are, what your values are, truly what your values are, right? How do you want to show up in the world? How do you want to, I like to talk about it as living legacy. We are living our legacies every single day. I like that. Most people think, oh, my legacy. When I'm gone, hello, you're still here. <laughs> what are you doing while you're here? I think it's so good. <laughs> every okay. single day with everything you do and say, you are creating your legacy. You're living it every day. Yeah. Are you living the legacy that you want to be remembered for? That's the work that I do. Mm. That's the important work that each one of us has to do. And it requires an introspective journey. And as Jen said, Ooh, it's a little tough. Yes, it's tough. But when you come out the other side, standing fully in your power, yeah. in your authenticness, in your ability to love yourself, then you can love your brother or your sister as yourself. Mm. It just opens up the world of possibility. The other thing I'd like to say is remember that we're each here in service to each other. Yeah. How are you serving? Mm. Who are you serving? Are you serving? Yeah. And when you are in service to others, I've found like suddenly you see people like you're talking about, maybe you get to know people on a more personal level and you hear their stories and suddenly people are just human. You know what I mean? And those categories kind of melt away as you're giving yourself and anyway, spending, maybe spending time with people you normally wouldn't spend time with and getting outside of your norms, you know, of your normal circles where maybe everybody looks the same, acts the same, talks the same, has the same affirmations of beliefs and yeah. I don't know. Um, how do you, okay. how do you expand that? So if you're aware, if every time you have a gathering, 
everybody's in the same socioeconomic uh, status as you. Everybody in the room looks like you or similar to you. Everybody in the room is from the same ethnic background, right? Everybody is of the same political affiliation. Everybody is the same. You're not expanding your horizons. Hmm. So ask yourself, hmm, who else might I invite into this gathering that I would like to learn more about? It's about making connections. It's also about having some empathy and compassion for the lived experience of, of others. Yeah. Not that everybody has had a terrible life, but whatever their experience has been, having some empathy around it, having some understanding around it, having some cultural humility around who you are and who other people are and understanding you don't know everybody's story. Because I can tell you this, and I'm 100% sure we all have a story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And until you, us. yeah. And we haven't walked in other people's shoes. And until we have, I mean, I think, yeah. <laughs> zip it. She's mouthing shut up just so in case. Yeah, zip it. <laughs> okay. I think I know the, the answer to this question. I think I know what you're going to say, but do you have hope? Cause this, this whole conversation we're having in this season is we can make change both individually in our lives and in the, the world around us. Do you believe, do you have hope that people can actually change? Oh, absolutely. Or I'd be wasting my time. <laughs> and I so yes. like right now, I mean, we're so, like you've talked about, our society is so divided. It's so polarized. How would you speak into that right now um, in light of your mission, in light of what you're driven to do? I think... <clears throat> There's power in numbers. Hmm. And I think we, the people, have the power. So we have the power to do a lot of different things. And it shows up in different ways. So if we want to change the trajectory of our society on an individual level, so each one of us makes a commitment to be the best version of us that we possibly can. Now, listen. Can we fall off that wagon? Sure. But we are now aware that we just fell off. What are you going to do about it? Hmm. Where before, that's just your behavior. That was just how you acted. Because what happens is we have a feeling, we have a thought, that feeling then gives us, we have a thought, the feeling comes from that thought, and then from that thought becomes a behavior. It's happening pretty quick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But when it is, when you have the awareness, because you've done the internal work to realize that you are now judging or whatever the case may be, or you're feeling fearful or less than or better than, it's two sides of the coin, catch yourself. In that moment, you can change, in any given moment, you can change how you react. In any given moment, you can change. So you had the thought, ooh, I got that feeling. Ooh, that's a song. <laughs> okay. okay, so in any given moment, you have a thought, you get a feeling, and then you're going to react. Oh, you had the thought, ooh, awareness. That's not what I want to do. I'm not crossing the street. Yeah. Hmm. Right? Great. 
Try that. Be aware. That happens when you've done the work and mm. you're really committed. Mm. So we call it dispelling the myth of the other. That's the, a lot of the, the work is that we're trying to dispel the myth of the other, even when the other is you. Mm-hmm. What kind of um, things do you take people through in helping them do the work of like individual transformation? Um, so we take what I call the, we take a journey and we go through, first we identify the things that are most obvious that you can identify as feeling like someone else is the other or you're the other. So we really go through, a, a, I do a lot of um, reflective work or contemplative work. Mm-hmm. So we, I have a series of questions that, we, that I ask and I give people time and space to really review that. We do a lot of journaling um, or you can do it, uh, you can talk into your phone and um, do a recording, whatever you wanna do. Um, and then we go out, we, we take that theme and we work with that over, over the course of say a week and we begin to notice. Notice what you're feeling. Notice what you're thinking. Notice what you're thinking when you see certain people. Notice what's ha- what's coming up for you. Because our body keeps score. Hmm. Because our inner knowing, our soul selves, knows. Have we tapped into that? So the work is really tapping into that higher level us the big S self or the inner knowing or the inner wisdom or the God self or the whatever your term is and bringing that forth. And then having the ability after so much time goes through, we go through this, you get to a point where you can really tune in to what you're feeling and and then figure out what's the origin of that. So that's the beginning of the work of going through, who am I? Mm-hmm. What am I thinking? Where's that coming from? Identifying those things. Because when you identify where that's coming from, it makes it a lot easier for you to massage it or take it out of the suitcase. That's a concept of work that I call stepping into the hallway where the one door closes and a new door opens. I like that. I saw that on really your website. Language. I think you talked about that too in New York. Yeah, I did. I talked about that. Yeah. Um, how have you seen people? I mean, have you been encouraged? Have you seen people change? And can you share that with our listeners? Just sure, to- sure. Yeah, I've seen, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's, this is about someone who was othering themselves because that's the piece we work on first, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, because that opens the door for us to let go of othering other people. So I had a a woman, um, I was working with a group up in um, Canada. And this woman in the workshop comes out, comes up and she says, we, they went out into breakouts and I brought them back together. And she says, I had, I had um, an aha moment. I said, oh, do tell. (laughs) (laughs) So tell, tell, you know, are you, is it something you feel comfortable sharing? And she said, yes. She said, I haven't purchased clothing in a department store in 20 years. 
I said, oh, I wish I had that problem. Um, <laughs> she said, because I said, well, when, why is that? She said, because of my weight, I didn't feel worthy of buying new clothes. So I would always buy my clothes secondhand. Wow. What? Never in 20 plus years has she bought a new piece of clothing for herself. So during the process, one of the first things she wanted to do was to go to the store, a department store, mm. and find an outfit that she wanted to wear, that she liked, and purchase it. That's a small example, but it's it becomes it opens the door now for her yeah. to let go of whatever shame she has around her weight. Because I can assure you, when I asked her, well, what other places do you see this showing up? Where you are denying yourself That's brilliant. or denying others access to whatever. Because it, it never happens in a vacuum, right? It's always more. Hmm. So how is that showing up in other areas of your life? Right. And if she's not able to love herself and accept herself, then how right. should do that? If you're her? loving yourself the way you, you know, love, love your, love others the way you love yourself. If you're loving yourself in a not so good way, I can assure you that you're loving others in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah without question. Yeah. It's hard though, because it's some of this stuff is such deeply, like it's all the stuff you were talking about in the beginning and was put in the suitcase, like so early on, you know, for so many of us, we all have our stuff, you know, and it really does take like some intentionality and work to like weed that stuff out and work through it. And and then it can, you know, even once you've done that work, it can keep popping back up and you have to keep dealing with it, you know? So what um, happens though, Jen, is as you continue to catch yourself, have this awareness, you begin then to build these new neural pathways. Yep. So we can't stop old behavior. We can't close down any of those pathways. But what happens is we build new ones. And so we're using those regularly and they become our new habit because mm. what we're doing is we're creating new habits yeah to act in a different way and to catch our thinking before we act and it's a nanosecond but the awareness happens yeah and this stuff it, it, can, it can almost like seem really small like okay she went to a department store and she bought some clothes that's good huge. for her that is no, massive that it's is a 20 massive. year cycle she that's broke a 20 year cycle a 20 year cycle and then was is reframing and like telling herself a new story about herself that is going to change her entire like that's changing her entire self-esteem and the way that she's looking at the world the way that she probably is treating others as a result like I mean oh, that yeah. I that's what I love about what you're talking about it seems it could almost seem like small changes that could be seen as like those little things could seem insignificant but if we all are on like you said like it takes if we're, if a ton of people are making those kind of changes, that is massive. That'll change the world. You know, that is exactly the point. Love that. Right. Yeah. Each individual making the change for themselves. So my question for her was how, where else does this show up in your life? 
and then letting going to the going to the department store and purchasing something what does that what else does that open up for you hmm. and when you see that light yeah on somebody's face i can oh i'm going to accept more invitations to things cuz on some level yeah. she was hiding of course yeah, yeah. Right? I'm going to invite people over. I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to take that blah, blah class that I wanted to take. I'm going to, I'm going to live. But when this change happens, and it has to be, as you can see, see, this is the other piece. A lot of organizations do a lot of programs around inclusion and belonging. Until we work with an individual on an individual basis to make the change, none of that's really going to work. They've been working on it for years, all my life. I've been around a minute. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm waiting for people to finally realize Mm. that in order for us to move the needle in so many different areas of our society, where we see the divisiveness, it requires this internal work. And if each one of us commit to being intentional, Jen, Jen, and steadfast and becoming the best version of us that we can be the ripple effect what's funny because yeah you're not advocating uh it's it's not funny it's not the right word you're you're not advocating yeah like an inclusion program what i hear you saying is if we become the healthiest version of ourselves if we become fully human we can treat other people as fully human it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing when you can be inclusive. It's a beautiful thing when you when you have an opportunity to meet people from different cultures, have different practices and things that they do. You learn about those things. You figure out how people do things. You might learn something you might want to do. Yeah, profound, yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful thing when your kids have a multicultural friend, friendship group. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing when your children, because think about this, for those of you out there that are raising kids, what yeah. model are you setting up for these children? Yeah. They are looking at you because what yeah. you're doing is you're packing that suitcase. Oh gosh. What are you putting in it? So scary. <laughs> raising or, kids, or so awesome. So, I know. It's just, it's such a privilege and also terrifying. <laughs> They're watching you. Oh, they're no, we watching. Just, we're talking about it this morning. They're they're watching. way home, but they're, they're you're watching, watching way more. A, if pardon? No, they're they're watching and listening way more. They're watching and like listening. To believe, right? And you're busy packing mm. the suitcase for what you think they need. Mm. Check yourself before you put something else in their suitcase. Yeah. Check okay. yourself. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you one more question. This is like a, it's a, it's like a last question. It, and it's something we're asking everybody in the season okay. who we're bringing into the, we can make change. Um, some version of the question anyway, but what's one step? If you were going to give our listeners just one thing that they could walk away from this conversation with, that's what's one step that our listeners can make in their own lives toward this sort of change. We are at a critical point in our society, in the world, all over the world, right? 
Each one of us, if we truly believe that we're all here with a different fingerprint, because we're all meant to make a different impact or imprint in the world, ask yourself, whatever situation you might find yourself in or not in, just sitting in your home right now, in your car, wherever you're listening, at any given moment, you can ask this question. What does this moment need from me? And then I sometimes add to the end of that, if anything. Now, don't use that as your escape. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes. It's a great question. Silence is what you need. And when silence is what you need, you need that silence because you are going internally to ask for guidance. But the biggest question you can ever ask yourself, specifically when you're in situations when you know that it calls for something, or you're having that feeling or that calling that there's something else you need to do. The question is, what does this moment need from me? Hmm. And then quiet. Because hmm. when we're constantly talking to God, universe, spirit, we are not listening. <laughs> so you have to get quiet hmm. in order to hear. And that's a hard part for many people. We're constantly asking, talking, begging, pleading. Mm. When do you listen? What does this moment need from me? Yeah. I love that. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's so good. I'm going to hold on to that one. Yeah, it's really good. It's really great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. We're so grateful for the work that you're doing. We're grateful for your time today and for sharing your self with us and with the people who are going to be listening to this and um yeah we just i don't know just thank you and keep going doing what you're doing I love it. the world needs more sonia's more people living their their fullest selves so i'm so thankful for for you yeah i'm delighted to be here it was a pleasure to meet you all in new york yeah um and i am delighted to be a guest and speak with your listeners and i just hope that they are inspired to be the change because we the people have the power that's to right. make the change that's right that's so good thanks sonia thanks so much for joining us don't forget to check out our website philandjenwood.com to register for upcoming experiences and to see what else is going on and if you enjoyed this feel free to subscribe you can even leave a review keep going see you next time